She knew trouble was coming when she heard the shouting and saw the gates of the city closing in the middle of the day. The moms were running around grabbing their children and running home. The vendors were gathering up their wares and throwing them on carts and getting out of the main city, deeper, out of the main road, deeper into the city. Soldiers were rushing by, their armor and their weapons clanging as they went. I don't know if it was curiosity or the Spirit of God or a mixture of both, but the woman made her way up the stone steps to the battlements of the city and looked out. An army was approaching from the south. She could see the dust cloud from their feet rising up. And the villagers that were around the city, and they were too late to get inside before the gates closed, they were all running to the north to get as far away from the danger as possible. She could uh, hear the battle horns. Eventually she saw the banners from the army and realized it was an Israelite army. And they're an Israelite city. So she didn't understand what was going on. This wasn't making much sense. She hoped that the government leaders were gathering information and forming some kind of a plan to respond. Maybe they could find out what was going on, what was endangering them. Maybe they could prevent a catastrophe. But by the end of the hour, the besieging army had been able to gather up some wood and some dirt and some rocks, and they had formed a ramp up against the wall of the city. Their grappling hooks were beginning to pull rocks down from the wall. Arrows were flying in both directions. She began to hear the thud of the battering ram against the gate of the city. This situation may require more than military strength, maybe more than physical might. Time was running out. Many people were in danger. And it looked like the city leaders were just arguing amongst themselves instead of actually contributing something constructive to solve the problem. And so she said a prayer, took a deep breath to gather her courage, and she called out in a loud voice. Now I think she was right. It's going to take more than military might. It's going to take more than physical strength to stop this catastrophe. It was going to take wisdom. And as we watch this unnamed woman from 2 Samuel chapter 20, as we watch her respond to this emergency, we're going to find five characteristics of wisdom. And then we're going to look very briefly at where she might have gotten this wisdom from. So that when we find ourselves in a situation that's confusing, that's dangerous, that's provoking anxiety, perhaps we could find some wisdom too. Before we take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 20, let's pray and ask God to bless us as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we have very many enemies in this life, enemies within ourselves, enemies around us that cause confusion and danger. And Father, we desperately need wisdom for our families, for our neighborhoods, for our jobs, for our schooling, for our church, 
And so, Father, we commit ourselves to your word this morning. We open ourselves up and ask you to show us what we need so that we can become the people you want us to be, to do the work you've called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So after David's son Absalom had rebelled against him and that rebellion had been squashed, unfortunately by his death, there arose a second rebellion. David couldn't cut a break. This one was led by a man named Sheba, and he had tried to rally some men around him to say, we have nothing to do with this David character. And so Joab, we know Joab from previously in the book, Joab, one of the leaders of David's army, gathers up his men and begins to hunt Sheba down. Sheba started in the Jerusalem area, but now he's running from Joab. So he's heading north through all of Israel, finally makes his way to a small town called Abel. And he gets inside with Joab's army at his heels. And we don't know if the city of Abel knew that they were harboring fugitives from justice. We don't know if they knew that Sheba and his men were traitors to the king. We don't know. Maybe they were completely unaware of their presence in their city. But the attack on their city must have been very disconcerting, maybe even scary. So let's start with that. Second Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 14. And Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel of Bethmaacah, and all the Bichrites assembled and followed him in. And all the men who were with Joab came and besieged him in Abel of Bethmaacah. They cast up a mound against the city, and it stood against the rampart, and they were battering the wall to throw it down. And then a wise woman called from the city, Listen, listen. Tell Joab, come here that I may speak to you. And he came near her. And the woman said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Now here's the first characteristic of wisdom that I see. Is that this woman, and I don't know if she was old or if she was young. The Bible doesn't say, but generally we associate wisdom with the older people. So I don't know how old she was, but I do know she was wise. The scripture tells us. And the first characteristic that we see is that she is going to make sure that she speaks to the right person. She wants to make sure that she speaks to the right person. When there is trouble, when there is conflict, when there's relationship issues, when there's things going on at work, and maybe people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, we need to speak. Wisdom speaks to the right person. Now, I usually speak to everybody except the right person. I speak to people about the person. But wisdom speaks to the right person. Jesus in Matthew 18 gave us very clear instructions that when we have an issue with somebody, we go directly to them. And if that doesn't seem to solve the issue, then we gather two or three together to, to help us mediate this discussion, this problem. In essence, the... the the slogan is, when you have an issue, involve as few people as possible, as many people as necessary. A great slogan for solving problems. Wisdom will involve as few people as possible, but as many as necessary. <laughs> and in some cases, that might mean including the authorities. Several churches in the news have gotten themselves in trouble 
because <clears throat> excuse me, some bad things have happened in the church, some abuse has happened in the church. And they followed the idea of tell as few people as possible. But they didn't follow wisdom which says tell as many people as necessary. And so they got themselves in trouble. Wisdom goes to the right person in order to solve problems. Do you have a problem with a coworker? Then go right to him. Do you have a problem with your supervisor? Go right to her. This is what will be wise. Anything else is gossip or complaining. And gossip and complaining is not wisdom. And it won't bear the fruits of wisdom. You know, we want to see this thing resolved. We want the complications to become simplified, the relationships to be restored, people to understand what their responsibilities are, and then to, and for us to help them to, to do those responsibilities. But we, we, we get confused, we get frustrated, we get angry, and then we don't do the wise thing. We don't go directly to the person. And it actually just tangles the situation up worse. And what we were hoping would be the fruit of our decision to be peace and righteousness ends up being broken relationships and more confusion. So the first characteristic of wisdom is that wisdom speaks to the right person. What else does this woman do? came near her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered and said, I am. And then she said to him, Listen to the words of your servant. The second characteristic of wisdom is that it is humble. It is humble. Listen to your servant. In James 3.13, James says that uh, he talks about the meekness of wisdom. Meekness and humility are closely related. What, it, what meekness and humility means is that I understand my proper place. If I'm an employer, I understand what my place is. If I'm an employee, I understand what my place is. My place is always to honor people. And so when I have an issue or a problem, I will honor the person that I have a problem with. Honor them in my tone, honor them with my word choice, honor them with uh, my attitude. That is meekness. That's humility. Understanding my place before others, understanding my place before God. Now, some of us, we are a little more aggressive in solving problems. And we think aggression is going to solve these problems. Sometimes we're so aggressive we even get involved in problems that aren't even ours. And Proverbs says that getting involved in a conflict that is not yours is like pulling the ear of a wild dog. Guaranteed it's not going to go the way you planned it. Aggression is sometimes our default position. But aggression is not wisdom. It's not humility. It makes us more like bullies. And it makes us poor leaders. Nobody wants to follow a bully. Nobody wants to work alongside this type of aggressive person. Humility listens. Humility seeks to understand. Not 
try to force their own way. Humility thinks through. Humility assumes that their first thought may not be the best thought. And so will think through their response. Humility knows when to wait and then when to act. This is humility. This is wisdom. You will not find wisdom in the proud person. But we will find it even in ourselves if we learn to be humble. <clears throat> Excuse me. Third characteristic of wisdom. Wisdom is peaceable. She said, listen to the words of your servant. And Joab answered, I am listening. Verse 18, she said, they used to say in former times, let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Abel, the city, had a reputation for being a place that had wise people in it. When there was a conflict, you would say, let's seek out the city of Abel. They'll be able to help solve the situation. They were peaceable. They wanted to repair relationships. They, there was someone there, multiple people there, who could say, okay, this is where your fault is, and this is where your fault is, so let's both confess our faults, let's both ask for forgiveness, let's make a plan on how to move forward. The city was known for this, this peaceability. And Jesus blessed the peacemakers. Jesus said that the peacemakers will be called the sons of God. The peacemakers will be recognized as people who have the same characteristics that look like their father. Because God himself makes peace. That's why Jesus came to make peace between us and God. It wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't God's fault that our relationship with him was broken. It was not God's fault that we were enemies of him. And yet he's the one that sacrificed in order to bring the peace. He did not say, well, your fault, your punishment. He said, your fault, I desire you, I will sacrifice so that I might have peace with you, so that we might walk together forever. So God is peaceable. He wants to make peace. And those who are wise will want to make peace. James, again in his book, says that the opposite of the wisdom from heaven is jealousy and selfish ambition. Does jealousy bring peace? Does selfish ambition bring peace? No. In fact, James says it causes, causes divisions, causes arguments. Why are you at each other's throats? Because you don't have the wisdom that comes from heaven. The wisdom that is peaceable, that will even sacrifice when it's not their fault. This is wisdom. It reminds me of our new memory verse. We've got a new memory verse. We're just starting up 
June now, we're going to try to memorize Romans 12, 19. It's a little bit longer, but it, it will be familiar to you because even our culture has, um, has knows some of this verse. Romans 12, 19. Yep, one more there. There we go. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do you see the humility in this verse? The humility that says it's not my place to take revenge. It is my place to step back. It is God's place for revenge. It is the place of God's wrath for revenge, not my place. So humility knows its place, right? Wisdom knows that justice will happen and I don't have to bring it about. Therefore, I can step back and wait for the Lord. Do you see the peaceability here? The humility and the peaceability here. That Paul in the book of Romans is telling us, Beloved, don't, don't fight for yourselves. Don't fight for your rights. Don't try to get revenge for people who break your rights. But leave it to God. Let's say this together. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Romans 12, 19. If you're working on wisdom, if you're working on humility, if you're working on being a peacemaker, Romans 12, 19 may be a jewel for you to implant in your mind. Wisdom <clears throat> speaks to the right person. Wisdom is humble. Wisdom is peaceable. And we find that wisdom is faithful. She said, They used to say in former times, Let them but ask counsel at Abel. And so they settled a matter. I am one of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Faithful. Someone who is faithful is someone who is dependable. Someone who brings stability to a situation. You know that you are faithful. You know that you are wise. When you're the person people go to, when things seem to start feeling like there's turmoil. I need a wise word. I need someone who doesn't get anxious over problems. I need someone who's faithful to their community, faithful to God. This is an honesty that brings security. And this woman was faithful. She says, you seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? She loves her community. She loves her city. And I don't know what kind of personality she has. I don't know if she's a brash woman that tends to just speak her mind, or if she's more reserved, and this is the first time she's ever done this. I don't know what her character is, but this is what I sense here, is that she has a love for her people and a love for God, and that gives her a courage that's bigger than the fear of talking directly to the general of an army that's trying to tear down your walls. I mean, wow. In this culture, a woman who would step out 
and talk to a general as he's trying to batter your city gates down? That takes some courage. It takes a little bit of inner fortitude, right? Where did that come from? You know, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul said, he said, you know, the love of Christ compels me that there is a desire to save people with the gospel that my fear of rejection, my fear of failure just is small compared to my love that compels me. And there, she is a faithful person. I am one of the peaceable and the faithful. I care about my city and about doing what is right. This is why Jesus saved us. So that we would love God and love people. So that the love of God and the love for people would so compel us that we would be faithful to them to be peaceable. To maybe do something we never thought that we would do. But because I'm faithful to God and faithful, whether it's to my family, my co-workers, my school companions, I'm faithful to my friends and this is what wisdom is. Jesus will give us wisdom as we seek it diligently. And we can't remove the spiritual element from wisdom. She says, you seek to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why will you swallow up the heritage of the Lord? Abel is a city that has little villages around it, and we care for them. We are a city that helps people solve problems. We have a reputation for that. We are faithful to God. We are the heritage of the Lord. There is a spiritual element to this faithfulness that wisdom holds. And lastly, the fifth and final characteristic of wisdom. Wisdom speaks to the right person. Wisdom is humble. Wisdom is peaceable. Wisdom is faithful and wisdom is just. Okay, now this next part of the story. This is a fairly obscure story uh, in the scriptures. And I love watching what this woman does. But this next step is a little against our culture. I was kind of like, when I read it, I was like, So here we go. 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 20. Joab answered, Whoa, far be it from me, far be it, that I should swallow up or destroy. That is not true. Listen, a man of the hill country of Ephraim called Sheba, the son of Bichri, has lifted up his hand against King David. Give up him alone, and I will withdraw from the city. Now, I don't know why the city leaders didn't just send a messenger out to find out what was going on. I don't know. Did they know that Sheba was there, and they were hiding him? Or did they not? I don't know. It doesn't explain it. But as this woman, this wise woman, talked to Joab, she finds out what the real story is, and then she acts. And the woman said to Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to you over the wall. And then the woman went to all the people. Listen, she went to all the people in her wisdom. So the commentator here is telling us that this was a wise answer to the problem. And they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of victory, and threw it out to Joab. So he blew the trumpet, and they dispersed from the city every man to his home. And Joab returned to Jerusalem to the king. The city was saved. Sheba was decapitated. Okay, so what's the lesson here? 
is it that wisdom sacrifices the one for the many? Is that what it is? Is the, wisdom, is, the, is the lesson here that wisdom has a deep disregard for life? Is it that wisdom counts the cost and then sacrifices other people? Is that what wisdom is? What is this wise woman doing? What is the city doing? I believe that when it says that she went to all the people, that that represents, that that represents a proper legal procedure for their day and age. And I don't know if that required as much wisdom to talk to the people as it did to talk to Joab. Probably. Very wise woman. But what happened was Sheba was a rebel. And the city brought that rebel to justice. He was a traitor to their king. An enemy. A criminal. And a traitor. And wisdom understands justice and does justice that is wisdom does justice sheba was suffering from the fruit of his unfaithfulness his lack of wisdom and trying to start a rebellion against king david that was his lack of wisdom his lack of peaceability his lack of faithfulness and so he ends up encountering justice and his head rolls for it. Wisdom is powerful. And I hope that as you watch this unnamed woman in her wisdom, that you desire to be wise. Her wisdom accomplished more than the armies of Joab. Wisdom is more powerful than the sword. More powerful than physical strength. Not all of us can be physically strong. But all of us can be wise. You don't need to be physically strong to accomplish great things. You just need wisdom. So where do we get it? Where did she get it? Where did we get wisdom? If, if we've read any of the scriptures, if we've read the book of James, we know that James says that we can ask God for wisdom and he is faithful and he will give it to us generously. But we had to be careful of that passage because then we might think that wisdom is something that when I'm in an emergency, I just pray and God gives me this wisdom like some foreign information that he just drops into my brain and all of a sudden I know how to solve the problem. But we know from other scripture that that's not how wisdom works. From the book of Proverbs, especially chapters 2 through 4, we find that we will only get wisdom when we treasure it. When we devote ourselves to it. When we put great effort into seeking wisdom, then we get it. It doesn't come to us by magic and by a, just a simple prayer and all of a sudden, I have wisdom. Proverbs says that it is in a commitment of the entire soul. I will put other things aside so that I might commit my, my heart, my mind, my emotions, my decisions to wisdom. I will treasure wisdom. I will make it my desire to be wise. I will fill my mind with truth 
so that when it comes time to be wise, I will understand truth. I will make those small decisions every day that are wise decisions. And as I do that, I begin to grow in wisdom. What we get from Proverbs is that wisdom is a life way. A series of decisions made continuously over years, which is why you find wisdom in the old before you find it in the young. There are some young who are very wise because they started very early at learning wisdom and committing themselves to it. And there are some older people that are not wise at all because they've never committed themselves and treasured wisdom. But it is a life way that we can develop. Ultimately, wisdom comes from the Father through His Word as it's illumined by the Holy Spirit and embodied in Jesus Christ. This is where wisdom comes from. It comes from our Father, the Father of all wisdom, and He gives it to us in His Word. And the Holy Spirit that inspired the writers of the Word the Holy Spirit that saved and washed and cleansed and indwelt us will now illumine those same scriptures to us. Wisdom comes from the Father through his word, illumined by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. It's embodied in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And maybe this is where we need to go. If you want to grow in wisdom, where do you go? A couple of books of the Bible I would suggest. First, the book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs. Book of Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom. Whew, what happened? I think I hit the wrong button. There she goes. Proverbs. It lists out wisdom. If Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom then you should read the book of Matthew. It's the life of Jesus. Ask yourself, ask God. God, show me Jesus' wisdom. How does he interact with his opponents? How does he interact with the weak? How does he interact with God his Father? What was important to him? How did he answer challenging questions? You see, the, Jesus embodies wisdom. So if I study his life, then I am studying wisdom. So we have an Old Testament book, a gospel, and a New Testament book, James. James is like practical wisdom. James is the kind of book that when I read James, I get really convicted. Because like every other verse, it's like, well, I'm not doing that. Well, I'm not doing, well, I don't do that very good. Well, I've never done that. I mean, it just convicts me all the time, the book of James. It is practical wisdom. And so maybe this is your next step. Because we know that discipleship is a process, right? We know discipleship is a process, and in that process, we have to make decisions. We have to decide what our next step is and then go for it. And maybe your next step is to seek after wisdom. Seek after wisdom. You've seen this before. This is our strategy for growing as a believer, as a disciple. You start at the top, as an unbeliever. Someone engaged you with the gospel and you repented and accepted Jesus Christ. And that made you a believer. But you don't stop as a believer. You need to establish yourself in the faith. 
And this seeking after wisdom might be how you are going to be established in the faith. And then you become a disciple, someone who's not just believing Jesus, but you are following after Jesus hard. You have committed everything to him. And maybe the seeking after wisdom is your next step because it's going to equip you to serve other people in the gospel. What's your next step? Is your next step that maybe this summer you could just decide to commit yourself to wisdom? That this summer you're going to read the book of Proverbs. You're going to read the book of Matthew. And you're going to read the book of James. And it's not going to, you're not going to be able to do it by spending 10 minutes a day. You're going to have to set something aside and commit yourself. You're going to treasure wisdom and seek after it. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe by the end of this summer, you're going to be in a better place than you are right now. Maybe this summer is the summer that God wants to take to prepare you for something. Maybe there's a difficulty coming, and he wants you ready. He wants you to be able to rise up and to solve that situation. Maybe there's someone in your life a fellow student, a co-worker that's going to have a problem. And God wants to prepare you for it so that you can speak the gospel well into their lives. Let's commit ourselves. Let's commit ourselves to be speaking to the right person, to be humble, to be peaceable, to be faithful, and to be just. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us courage to speak to the right people. Give us humility. Give us a peaceable spirit. Lord, make us faithful people. Give us a love for justice. Father, I pray that you would make the most of this summer in my life. Lord, I commit to growing in you this summer. And as I watched this woman in 2 Samuel 20, I realized that there is something great for me if I seek after you. And so give me the strength, the commitment to keep going and to do that this summer so that I can know you better and love you more, so that I can serve you better and love people more. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please rise for your benediction. Just a reminder that because it's Communion Sunday, there is a uh, retiring offering as you leave this morning. If you desire, you can drop a little bit of money in the plate. That goes to the Deacon Fund, which is used to help those in need within our congregation. Also, it's a great help if you still have your little cup. You can take that with you as you leave. You can drop that off uh, in the receptacles that are there as well. And now may the God of all wisdom grant you by His Spirit to understand his word so that your wisdom and your love glorifies Jesus Christ, your Lord, to all generations forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day.